Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to the Earth Frenzy Radio Show here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Today we're going to be talking with two self-described time monks, George Ure and his colleague Cliff High, who will share some dire predictions based on their own WebBot technology. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with today's guest right after this brief message. Are you looking for that special gift or item, but you're tired of traveling across town and using up gas in order to find it? There is an easier, more efficient way to shop. Try Amazon.com to purchase your favorite products or merchandise. Hi, this is Steve Shimon for the Earth Frenzy Radio Show. We've been promoting Amazon quality products on our news and talk show (coughs) websites for years. In fact, many of our most prominent guests and talk show personalities are using Amazon.com to promote their multimedia content. Amazon's latest feature is the Video On Demand service that offers users ad-free movies and TV shows on both Mac and PC computers. The new services lets users watch the first two minutes of a movie or a TV show before they opt to buy or rent it. Once the user orders the video, it is added to a library that can be accessed via browsers on both the Mac and the PC. It is just one of many innovative ways in which Amazon has grown as a major distributor of quality and affordable products via the Internet. So if you're tired of searching endlessly for that special item, then why not check out Amazon.com? Just go to www.EarthFrenzyRadio.com. And while you're at it, check out the new Movies and TV Show Preview, available in the New Features column in the left-hand sidebar. Amazon.com is the fast and cost-effective way to shop online. Give it a try today. Our guests on this edition are George Ure and his associate Cliff, who have promoted and developed a groundbreaking predictive technology called WebBot technology. The technology, which samples large portions of the public Internet with an eye toward sensing the future, based on subtle changes in language, seems to have given indications before the fact of a large number of major news events, including but not limited to our reports before the fact on things like 9-11, the New Orleans Katrina and Rita disasters, Pakistan earthquake, climate change, the multiple extraordinary hurricanes that have occurred, and the increasing unpopularity of the Bush administration leading up to the inevitable meltdown. George and Cliff are now predicting, based on their technology, some rather dire forecasts for the economy our military, and earth changes with respect to natural disasters. So let's welcome to our show, George and Cliff. Hi, guys. Hello, sir. Top of the morning to you. 
This is an absolutely extraordinary subject that we're going to be talking about here today and something that I'm certain that our listeners will remember for a long time to come. Now, the website to look at is called halfpasthuman.com, and I have to say this is a very unique title and one that anyone that happens upon this site would have to check out, because basically because of the title. Now, Cliff, let's start with you. Could you give us a general overview of how you stumbled upon this concept? And, and then we will get, we'll, we'll ask the same thing of George. And then I'd like to get into the design patterns discussion, if we can, just a little bit. Sure. Yeah, no, uh, no problem at all. Uh, I started thinking about uh, new forms of uh, storage for language in computers in 1994. And over the following three years, sort of noodled on the idea until I developed some little bits of software that I decided could be used to aggregate certain language constructs. And I really didn't have any use for it. It was just an interesting programming effort. I was working as a software engineer at the time. And then I um, stumbled on the idea in 1997. It suddenly dawned on me that the stock market was in no way driven by logic or it didn't make any sense whatsoever. It was entirely emotional. So I thought, hmm, as long as it's emotional, if I could figure out a way to grasp the emotions around a particular stock at any given time, then I could, especially over the weekend was my thinking, then I could go on out and figure out what to do with that stock, buy or sell sort of thing the following uh, week because I would know how people were feeling about it and what they were likely to do. If I could do this on Moss, then maybe I could get a slight edge. And I uh, sort of considered that idea and wrote some more software and started uh, examining the results and was too intrigued with uh, what I thought was an anomaly and turned out to really be the whole point. And so gave up the whole stock market business and settled in on looking at how humans think about language, how they use language, and some of the archetypes that are leaked out in their daily transactions, which turned out to be prescient about events if you can figure out how to to sort of interpret them correctly. Make sense? Yeah, it, it sort of does. I mean, how 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 basically can people actually interpret what's going on though just by, you know, looking at this particular software? Well, the software is rather complex because I, what I did was to assign a large number uh, I had a lexicon at the time of about 300,000 words that were kindly given to me from the Oxford English Dictionary's first attempt at becoming digital. And I just had the lexicon. That, that is a list of words, no definitions. And so I had 300,000 English words, and I started sorting them, defining them, you know, verb, adjective, preposition, et cetera, et cetera, dropped them into all these different categories, and then I started assigning emotional values to them. And I assigned an emotional value based on a number. Uh, so, for instance, fear might be a minus one, and joy might be a positive one, everything uh, being in decimal increments in between uh, minus one and positive one. That's how I started out. And then I started summing up some of the emotional values that I found associated with words. And then some very interesting discoveries were uh, in the offing, in the sense that when I saw the data, it, it occurred to me, well, most people have uh, lexicons, that is to say, most Native English speakers might know 110,000 words uh, internally. And they may use 20,000 words in any given week, depending on how technical their particular work might be. But usually, within a given week, their real lexicon drills down to between nine and 11,000 words. And of that, they really only rotate or use 
a different lexicon from week to week of about 1,000 to 1,500 words. And so I was kind of curious, why was there that um, uh, aberrant change of about 1,000 to 1,500 words in any given week from person to person to person? And, and within the conversations that each person would have week after week. So if you're an avid gardener, for instance, you may discuss gardening stuff week after week for years online, and you'll rotate through a particular set of uh, a particular subset of your lexicon when you're talking about gardening stuff. And I was kind of curious as to why, what what out of universe prompted this, and, and in assigning the emotional values. I kind of came up with the idea that, well, certain archetypes in the Jungian sense of the word are being expressed. And once you have an archetype descriptor, then you can say this person is sort of subconsciously communicating to us that this is the archetype that they happen to see in the future or or currently is pressing in on their consciousness, which I interpreted as being a future event that was pending. Boy, I sure hope that made sense. I'm sure it's probably very confusing for a lot of people. Have you gotten a lot of hits to your website? And the uh, people that do uh, come to your website, do they have a, a basic knowledge exactly of, of how this software works? Uh, the people that come to my website are a little varied. I don't have that many subscribers. We don't offer that much on my site. Usually what we do is when we have a public announcement, like say a pending earthquake or something that we're fairly sure is going to hit somewhere, and we've got a rough idea of where that uh, that might occur, we would put that information out on George's site over at urbansurvival.com. My site is pretty much just for my subscribers. We, we're antiquated. It's not trying to be um, corporate in any way. Uh, we just want to have a little entry point for the subscribers to come on in and get the reports, and that's it. Okay, well, I'm going to get to you here in a minute, George. But before I do, um, Cliff, I wanted to ask you, what is the Vortex Reader? And, oh, and that's a, how, that's has soft- been, how has this been implemented into the into that software technology? Well, it it hasn't really. Vortex is a separate stream. Uh, it's a uh, some software I uh, invented and got a patent on that allows humans to read from computers up to about two thousand words per minute. It, it's um, sort of stuck in development because I'm overdoing the webbot stuff and so haven't been up, updating the Vortex Reader. But for thirty dollars, you can get this software that you can paste in vast quantities of text and use with macros and so forth to uh, just read through oh, up to about 2,000 words per minute. Most users settle around 1,100 words per minute, and I've been using it since 93, I think, when I had my first version of it. And uh, I'm pretty stable at about 1,800 words a minute. And the computer process actually participates in reading and assisting your brain in, in seeing the words and uh, digesting it all. So it's an entirely different process than reading from paper. It doesn't translate to reading from paper, by the way. People that use Vortex don't necessarily read faster from a uh, uh, reflective surface. Okay, George, um, I, I'm really interested in, uh, in uh, finding out or you know, learning how, how the two of you uh, met one another. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I had done a, a, a master's well, my website on long wave economics at urbansurvival.com was my master's capstone project in, gosh, 96, 97. And I had been writing about long waves in the economy. And uh, uh, I'd written several papers. One was uh, predictive of the end of the Internet bubble, uh, a paper called Death by Dot Coms in September of 1999. 
And, of course, right on schedule, six months later, the, uh, the Internet bubble started to collapse. This, this fellow up in the Pacific Northwest, who is really the time monk, I don't consider myself a time monk. I'm sort of like uh, uh, the grasshopper in the old Kung Fu series. Uh, I'm still down at the grasshopper stage. But the, the, uh, the predictive nature of long-wave economics uh, apparently attracted Cliff's reading, and that's how we began exchanging uh, information. He was looking at, at reading the future, looking ahead uh, at language shift, and I was interested in looking at the future also, uh, particularly economic cycle theory. Okay, so let's go on. So, uh, so what happened then? Oh, it was, it was pretty weird. Uh, Cliff wrote up a, a, a small paper in middle of 2001. I think it was called Screwy Theory 153. And over the course of a couple of weeks on the website, I posted the, uh, the comments on how language shifted, as well as mentioning, well, and, and Cliff wrote in several posts, and it went into how uh, we would soon be seeing a major tipping point occur in our lives, and a tipping point of such magnitude that things would never be the same ever again. And it, whatever this event was going to be, and remember this was early July 2001, it would involve aspects of military and aspects of accident, might have some connections to Las Vegas, the Philippines, and a couple of other locations. And, and by the way, those turned out to be incredibly accurate because at just about the moment he was writing up these uh, outputs from the predictive linguistics, uh, what were said to be the, uh, the terrorists involved in 9-11 supposedly were in Las Vegas partying their hearts out uh, before going off on their suicide missions. So naturally, when I woke up on the morning of September 11th on my sailboat with my wife in San Francisco, turned on CNN and saw as the morning news was going down on the West Coast, these buildings falling down in New York, I called Cliff and said, say, this wouldn't be your tipping point. I mean, it was a, it was a thin shiver up your spine thing to figure out that, oh my gosh, people can actually in a strange way, look into the future, Steve. So let, let me get this straight then. So uh, Cliff had contacted you, but prior to that then you really knew nothing about uh, his technology or the website or what it was that he was, was doing. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I didn't even have a website at that point. I was oh, you didn't have one at that time? Okay. No, no. I was just, uh, I'd been selling Vortex for a number of years and uh, running a consulting company and doing software development. And at high, high levels, I would come on into what were known as operational failures, where a corporation had spent uh, perhaps millions of dollars to achieve a computer goal. And it might work, but not operationally. It wouldn't meet the parameters they need. In other words, they might be able to make the queries and retrieve data, but it might take three weeks to get the results back, and they needed it in three minutes at the most. So well, Cliff, other than George, of... did you try contacting anyone else you thought might be able to? No, no, I was. I figured I was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously this, this was an untried idea. It seemed to have some relevance, and and I knew I told George initially in, I think it was probably like on July fourth of two thousand and one. Well, here's how my math works, and then I said to him that basically. 
there seemed to be an 85% chance it would happen in the next 15 days and a decreasing chance that went out some 90 days, such that eventually, I mean, um, my timeline ended on September 15th. And the way I had my math worked out, it was exactly the reverse of what events actually turned out. So I just reversed my math and everything worked fine. I reversed this particular part of an equation. It wasn't a... um, an error of programming or anything. I just thought it worked one way and it actually worked the other. So if I actually talked to George then and said, well, we have an 85% chance of it happening in the last 15 days of this 90-day period, we would have been much more accurate. And thereafter, we, I was starting to able to tweak the whole process and get it to where we are today. Not that it's How, how accurate has the uh, time analogy been uh, since uh, uh, putting up your website? Uh, better than chance by at least twice, I think. So, you know, we're, we're, I figure we're about 40%. People might disagree with me and, and say that we're slightly higher, but just doing twice the rate of chance is pretty good. Well, and, and, and unfortunately, I think, see, Cliff goes off way onto the modest scale because he really is a time monk. I mean, he's uh, neither one of us is making a tell, tell me this, George, and I, I, just, just for those who might be a little confused, what exactly is a time monk? Oh, boy. Cliff, that's your... Oh, well, George, George says that I'm a time monk because I don't really care much about money. I'm not trying to exploit this. I've got a weird set of uh, uh, moral conditions that I impose on myself when I do this work, and basically I'm a, a screwy bastard, and that's just his way of characterizing it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, we're, so we're, we're not in it for financial gain then. Well, what about no, you, George? No, we're in, the universe provides we've got sufficiency, and, and so George sees this as a little odd since he's an economist, <laughs> and the whole idea is to accumulate, right? Okay, and you feel the same way too, George, about this? or? Yeah, I mean, uh, both Cliff and I used to be well into the six-figure realm, and uh, this this whole project has has changed us around uh, both of us i mean you, you you can't look into the future and and see what's coming some of which was really cool and some of which has been incredibly scary and unfortunately we we seem to be in a uh, downward declining trend line where the scary factor is going up and the happiness factor globally is starting to go down uh you you can't be in that mode and be wanting to devote every waking moment of your life to making the next car payment. You, you, at some point, you start focusing on what's really important, which is the memories you walk out of life with, and do you have enough food, and beyond that, uh, it's way more important to relate to uh, uh, smelling flowers and watching how animals operate than it is to watch the brake lights on the car in front of you, if that makes sense. Well, we're going to be spending a a good deal of uh, today's program uh, talking about these uh, dire predictions that are being forecast for, uh, well, for the remainder of this year and then for early 2009. But but I'm particularly interested in knowing, um, Cliff, maybe you can answer this, or George, it doesn't matter, uh, how how the software is able to interpret uh, developments with uh, climate change. This is a particularly interesting subject to me, something I've talked about and written articles about many times over. And that was actually my first clue, that, by the way, that, that the software could in some way develop archetypes, because in 97 I went out looking for Stanford University Network. That just happened to be a stock that I chose as my very first one up, which, of course, their stock symbol is SUN. 
And so I started getting results that said that people were talking about the sun. And I started finding archetypes around that that related to fear, trepidation, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's how I got my first clue. So it was actually the whole Earth Changes thing in 1997 that got me started off on this particular train. So what what is... Uh... What is the Internet telling us about climate change and the future it's, of it's, mankind? Okay, we have to be real clear here. I don't really think that the software is particularly important in the whole process. It's just merely a collection of data-gathering software that shoves stuff in a particular order into SQL Server, sure. server databases, and then I've just assigned some emotional values. And anybody could replicate this, and you could probably figure out dozens of different ways to do it better or, or in, in some cases for greater refinement or whatever. What I actually think is going on is that Humans are, exist in a range. We're rather a, a diverse fifth-order beings, and so we have uh, every human is some degree short or some degree tall relative to all other humans. We also have the issue, I believe, that all humans are psychic relative to each other in varying degrees, and that that psychicness must express itself just because of the nature of universe that we're in. And you, you're probably not aware that you're psychic and that you're having these prescient archetypes uh, if you're very in connected with your body and the universe and stuff, you might get some level of uh, a sign or, or signal that something's up, which you interpret one way or the other. But what I think is actually going on appears to be expressing itself in the choice of words that one makes from week to week about rather common subjects, rather than the conscious expressions that everybody might find out on the Internet of, oh, I'm afraid of this, or I think this might happen. We pay absolutely no attention to those. And we go after all the subconscious expressions that are found in the ordinary conversations around movies, cars, food, you know, gardening, that sort of thing. We're going to take a quick break here for a minute, and when we get back, I want to talk about a little bit about 9-11 uh, and what has preceded uh, that time period and what we have to look forward to here um, going forward. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, George and Cliff. I wish a buck was still silver. It was back country was strong Back before Elvis and before Vietnam War came along Before the Beatles and yesterday When a man could still work still Best of the free life behind us now And are the good times really over for good And are we rolling downhill like a snowball Headed for hell With no kind of chance for the flag Chevy would still last ten years like the shoot 
best of the free life behind us now. And all the good times really over for good. I wish Coke was still cola in a joint. It's a bad place to be. It was back before Nixon lied to us all on TV. Before microwave ovens, when a girl still cooked, still would. The best of the free life behind us now are the good. Tuesday in any event. 
and the energies just had to be redirected, and thus the idea that it was an inside job, etc. So, um, but it's like, where do you want to start? There's strange stuff everywhere. We're in the what Terence McKenna called the concrescence, the coming together of the uh, end times. We have all these synchronistic cycles that are completing. We've got biospheric degradation on all the planets, including now giant glowing um, poles on uh, Saturn with hexagonally shaped storms. So hyperdimensional uh, math is intruding into our particular solar system and expressing itself that way. So it's kind of like, where do you want to start? Which, which part of the end scene do you want to look at? I couldn't quite hear you there, George. Oh, Are you up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, which, which part of the end do you want to look at? Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Cliff, Cliff is really right. I mean, you know, the, the, the beginning of the end for the financial cycle has its roots in 1913 and another uh, another cycle indicator was the crash of 29 and then the all-time peak of the stock market happened in the year 2000 people well, now that we're talking about 1929 and the crash that took place then sure um you think we're heading towards another period like that you know they keep claiming that we're not even in a recession here in the united states which of i course, find hard course. to believe but sure, there, sure. there's if, the rub yeah yeah okay, i mean if, ahead, if, yeah if, if if you look at the numbers See, the, the Minneapolis Fed, uh, the Minneapolis branch of the so-called Federal Reserve, has an inflation calculator. And we're already in the second depression. You just don't realize it because most people, Steve, are like frogs being slowly boiled. They ain't jumping out of the pot. But the fact of the matter is, if you take the Dow Jones Industrial High from early 2000, which was roughly 11,723, and you correct for the, uh, the effects of inflation, we have never been so high in terms of purchasing power as we were in 2000. And, and as Cliff appropriately noted, there's, there's a very good argument to be made that the major effect of 9-11 was to start a new industry, which is the perpetual war industry, and to blame shift people so that they would not see that the economy was really crashing under its own weight of interest and, and uh, financial abuse and malinvestment, but it would, could all neatly be blamed on somebody else. And so in a, in a, in a major way, the, uh, the events post 9-11, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, War in Afghanistan, what is it, Cliff? 141 other countries were in? 190, actually, total. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But, but see, that, that has become really economically the equivalent of the Civilian Conservation Corps and the old Works Progress Administration from the 1930s. So it's you're not in, it's, it's not working, but you don't realize that we're already in the Second Depression. I mean, they came out this morning with uh, the admission that deflation is hitting harder than it has since records started being kept, but that didn't happen until 1947. So we're in a time that, that echoes right now of the Depression. Is the general public being deceived then? They keep insisting that we're not in a recession. Of course, Japan has claimed that they're now in a recession, but what about us? 
Well, Japan has been in a recession since the Nikkei topped out at 41,000, 44,000 kind of range in summer of 1989. The way they've been able to get around it is they, they dropped their interest rates to zero. That created the, the yen gold carry trade, which has sort of kept the, the global economy going on a fraudulent basis ever since. Technically, we should have dropped into depression in the West, either with the Japanese peak or alternatively when LTCM, long-term credit management, blew up in 1997, or when the Internet bubble popped in the year 2000. However, since we have managed to do serial bubbles, the serial war bubble, the serial suburb, uh, uh, security bubble, and, and the serial housing bubble, because we have had bubbles to blow up uh, to keep this economy from imploding and working out some of the malinvestment, uh, who knows how this is going to work out? Uh, we expect not, not well, and how do you want to play it? Boy, that's a, you know, that's, that's a book-length topic right there. Well, has the financial bailout been helpful, or has it actually hurt in the long run? It's actually hurt, and I'll tell you why. I wrote a piece on my website, urbansurvival.com, today, and, and, and it's called the Pony, well, words to the effect, it's the Pony Express Rider Problem. If you remember, Steve, the old black and white movies where you'd see the Pony Express guy come riding into town, jump off his uh, really tired-out horse, jump on a fresh one, and ride off. You, you've seen those, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, here's what's happening. We have ridden into the current moment on this old dead horse called the capitalist massive growth is everything uh, approach to economics. That horse is tired and damn near dead. And so what's going on right now in Washington, D.C., is we've got all these people that are owners of that old and quickly dying horse all meeting, trying to figure out who's going to get water for the horse, who's going to get some oats for it, and if we can just make it get on to the next town for us. They don't realize that's a dead horse. That paradigm is toast, has been toast, but it's going to be five, maybe ten years before we figure out that we need a new horse. In the meantime, there are new horses cropping up all over the place, which would be much better to ride, uh, transferring over to alternative energy. Uh, uh, ending our reliance on foreign trade, reindustrializing America at a, at a more appropriate level of technology. But instead, what we're doing is we're beating the old horse, which involves paying people 63 cents an hour in Bangladesh when we should be paying them 15 bucks an hour in Ohio. But because the way the old paradigm works, corporations get to pocket the wage rate differential. And as a result, we have a paradigm dying a new paradigm trying to come into uh, uh, come into being, and in the meantime, we've got all these distractions of things like 9/11 and uh, you know however many wars you want to point at. Who's to blame for the problems that are happening in Detroit right now, and the fact that Everybody. they were before Congress yesterday uh, begging for 25 billion dollars? Yeah, but everybody's to blame. I mean, the real estate appraiser who who uh, went along with the uh, your house is now worth a million dollars more than you paid for it scam, the banker who wrote the loan, the people in Detroit who designed SUVs that were not fuel efficient, the lobbyists for Detroit that said, hey, we don't need those, uh, uh, those, those fleet economy ratings. We can get yeah, by with 
George, if you want to condense it, though, he's absolutely correct. There, all these people are complicit. But if we drill way down to the core, the people that were prompting all of this were the creators of artificial uh, currency and the associated debt, the Federal Reserve banksters and the foreign entities that own the Federal Reserve and control the uh, gold trade. And, and they were the ones that I say yeah, they were the ones that set everything up. So in other words, right. then, there's, there's actually plenty of blame to go around. Oh, there's blame all over the place. And let's not forget the guys that came up with planned obsolescence. I, I still see all of that going back to the, to the money situation. If you look at the United States history, uh, we've had uh, nominally, you could say, five currencies, including the current one. And every time a currency comes into existence, it, it runs a particular course like a fever, starts off a little bit low, then flares up until it basically burns itself out. The only issue is how many years will it take? The current currency we're in now has taken a lot of years. But those years where we didn't have currencies in the United States, where we traded in gold and silver as the currency of the realm, we had less than 5% of in inflation that spanned some 200 years. 5% inflation for 200 years, stable economy. Every time we had a new gold discovery, the com uh, the whole country would get kicked in the butt because we would have more currency floating around that was actually worth something because you had to put labor into the extraction of it. So in that sense, we can, uh, we can argue that paper currencies create the current level of, quote, prosperity, but they always lead to a greater level of suffering than would have occurred in a tight money situation where natural resources regulated what you actually were doing. And what Cliff is bringing into focus is, we, is the, the whole notion of interest being paid on money. That is to say, renting the money only works as long as you can pull future demand into the present. When you run out of either goods to pull into the present or future demand to pull into the present, the whole system starts operating upside down, and you get what's called a depression, and that's where we are right now. Actually, it's a little worse than that, I would suggest, because in this case, it's not the ordinary depression. It's the kind of depression that, that accompanied the crash of the currencies in the late 1800s. It's the kind of depression that accompanied the crash of the Confederate currency at the end of the Civil War. And it's the kind of depression that accompanied the collapse of the Continentals uh, in the early 1800s. Uh, right after the Revolutionary War. And in each of those depressions, we had severe civil unrest. Now, we had uh, civil unrest in the 1930s, but it was on uh, one-tenth or maybe even a hundredth of the, layer, uh, of the level of magnitude that we saw in the 1890s. The country almost came to separation in the 1890s over a number of issues that were at their core related to the massive level of depression that we were getting into. Now, this well, also, time, too, uh, you know, during the uh, Great Depression, which I believe began, most of it began in 1929, we were, at that time, we were not in a war, which we are now. Isn't that correct? That's correct, yes. And how long, how long did that depression last? Do you recall? Sure, until well, we started argument, World War II. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about more than more than a decade then. Oh, sure. Are we looking at that again? We're looking probably, it depends on how you want to see it. Uh, we have a number of other issues, and if the currency dies, does that, in other words, if we all stop using the dollar, which appears to be the solution to the current international crisis, which forces certain things on the United States, but if we all stop using the dollar, does the, whatever, the new currency and new situation, does that form a new economy? In other words, are we looking at literally the, or the, or actually the cessation of our current economy and then starting of something new? 
Now, a lot of people would, would say that, yes, if the New World Order comes in and issues a global currency, et cetera, et cetera, then that would form a new economic order. And I would argue that, well, we're actually seeing the collapse of the New World Order and the collapse of global trade because that's, as George points out, it's the, the global wage differential that is pocketed by this uh, 7,500 families, which is a rough estimate of the number of people that control 80% of the globe's economies. Um, that's what a, has an ex been in existence for at least the last 20 years. And thus, we've been living under the New World Order. They just didn't have a single currency and a single world government because it wasn't necessary. In effect, they had a single world government. They just didn't tell anybody about it. And there was a single world currency, which they used to manipulate all the other currencies to their benefit and to hoard wealth. So we've seen a huge wealth transfer in the last 20 years that has to rectify itself one way or another because we've gotten to the point where we've reached critical mass in the population on the planet. So if we decide that this is going to be a dire period, then we're looking at a planetary revolution where billions of people being forced into poverty over these next couple of years are not going to like it, and they're going to start taking action. Okay. Um, Optimistic, we're talking huh? today. Go ahead, George. You had something to say? Oh, I was just going to say optimistic, huh? You know, it, economics is called the dismal science for a good reason. And, and I think privately, Cliff and I are, are hoping it doesn't come to, like, world war at, at a country versus country level. Um, but there is a pretty good case to be made that before we get to 2020, we're going to be in a something's got to give. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, crop failure and climate change, you know, and, and migration of people. They're and, migrating and out into of other countries. And running out of oil. That's right. And what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have a lot of uh, uh, mass conflict that's going to take place. I think a lot of people are in agreement with that. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it gets messy at the street level, though, as it works itself out. In fact, I think we saw it now recently in, in Haiti. There was a lot of uh, violence that took place over the fact that a lot of people uh, have no commodities. They're starving, and uh, they're asking for help from the government. Of course, the government's not helping them. Well, there's, there's the rub, though. People that are going to come through this are quite clearly identified in our work as those individuals that aren't going to be asking the government for help, that are going to go out and do it on their own. I'm not talking vigilantes or that sort of stuff. I'm talking about those smart individuals that will figure out what's going on and start making preparations and opt out of the system. We're seeing a lot of data that indicates in 2009 these will be the most successful groups because those other individuals that are hooked on government largesse are going to discover that governments really can't do anything other than legislate, and they really have no power uh, other than fear and legislation neither of which will produce food or commodities when the whole system breaks down, which it must and is going to. Actually, we're seeing it occur right now in ever so slow motion. That's why a lot of individuals are not really aware of what's happening. It's so slow. As George points out, they're slowly heating the pot that all of us froggies are sitting in. And in the meantime, it, it sure is comfortable riding that old horse, uh, riding around this way station before we find a new one to jump on. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you there. There's another issue, though, involved, and that really is, points right to the core of our work, and that is the emotional level of energy that is required by anybody, but especially politicians who, if you think of it in a particular way, are just merely aggregations of our total emotional input at the basis level. In other words, the politicians reflect the lowest common denominator that can be sustained as a consensus view. 
And what we're running into is the amount of energy it takes you as a particular individual to shift your mind to a whole new worldview must be magnified by the total number of individuals and impressed upon the politicians. And they'll be the last ones to get it. So they'll be the last ones to actually stand up and acknowledge that everything is broken and we have to throw it all away. If, it, if we actually had a leader, a leader would stand up and say, everything is broken, guys. Have your fit now. Everybody panic. And then I'll get back and talk to you in about five minutes when you're all through with that emotionalism and we'll get into a plan here. But they would acknowledge and lead us into the fact that we must panic and get all that out of our system in order to then get on and get something fixed. Instead, we see the reactive kind of, of language coming out of it. So those individuals in 2009 that will do well will be doing it on their own in any country, especially the U.S., Okay, uh, we're talking today with George Ure and Cliff High, known also as the Time Monks. Their WebBot technology software is predicting some rather dire consequences for the economy and also regarding natural disasters that are poised to occur both here and abroad. In June of uh, 2001, George started corresponding with one of his website readers who was using the Internet to forecast future events. George and Cliff have been frequent guests on the nationally syndicated coast-to-coast AM radio show. George's website focuses on long-wave economics and can be found at urbansurvival.com. Cliff's website and software technology, which predicts the future, can be found at halfpasthuman.com. A reminder to our listeners that our very special guest on November the 25th will be the gifted psychic Louise Ungro. Louise has, over the years, developed a unique ability to communicate with the spirit medium. She is also an avid ufologist and has been featured on radio and television shows across the nation. So be sure to join us on November the 25th at 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, 8.30 Pacific Time, for an interactive talk session with the renowned psychic Louise Ungro. Getting back to our uh, discussion, both of you uh, foresee this time period between now and March of 2009 as a period of uh, emotional intensity. Now, now, is it true, Cliff, that you have never picked up any event lasting as long as the one you are now predicting? That we're now in, yes, correct. Yeah. The, the particular kind of release language that we're now in uh, has never before uh, shown up in the data in the past 10 years that we've been doing this. Not in this form. So based on your software technology, there's going to be a total economic collapse before March of next year? Is that what you're predicting? No, no, it doesn't work that way. No, uh, because what we're looking at is release language. And so there's going to be a whole lot of suffering and a lot of words around the economic breakdown. But the economic breakdown itself is not going to be an accomplished fact by March. but But in essence, it's already an accomplished fact. We just all have to live through it. Uh, It's a little difficult to describe, but it might well be uh, 2010 before everybody admits that the dollar is dead and we start using uh, rocks or, you know, chiseled uh, crystals as money or whatever. Um, But during the intervening months between now and and actually it's February 14th, I think, that we show the release language ending, we're going to be in the same level of crisis mode so that every single day there will be that much more bad news economically, 
uh, that much more strain on militaries around the planet. You know, we've got the pirates out there now hijacking oil. There's a, just a generalized breakdown and an increase in emotive events in which the emotion that's being expressed is a release language uh, such that people are actually actively discussing their fears and anxieties. Building tension language, we have a tendency to stifle, if you will, and, and build tension in our bodies and not really use the same language set. So that's what's going on. So it's not... Hey, a, it's a, uh, I was going to suggest something, Steve. Yeah. It, it's, it's almost like, say you're walking down the street, right? And a car comes along and smashes into you. And you pick yourself up from 25 feet away, and you're able to get up. You hurt a little bit, and you go, oh, I'm okay. Well, well, right now, the period we're in is that car accident that smacks you. Yet, because of that accident, we have sustained serious internal injuries that eventually kill us. Even though you may get up from this accident and walk around for a while, that's kind of what it's like. But either one of you sort like of in to the take shock a zone, yeah. Yeah. But either one of you like to take a question. I believe there's somebody online that would like to ask a question. Sure. Are you there, caller? Caller? No, apparently he's not there. <laughs> Go ahead, George. You're gonna you're gonna add something here? Oh no, I was just gonna talk about the whole you know, the, the accident theory of this. It's it's inconvenient and it's not very pretty to think about. But but folks are very slow at a society level to pick up on on the changes that occur, uh, and 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 what concerns I think both Cliff and I is that come the end of the stock market decline, or or not not the end of it, but but maybe we'll get a pause toward the end of February March. You have to remember that it's going to take three maybe six months till it sinks into people's consciousness that in many cases, working families in America who have in good faith put money into 401k programs and so forth will effectively have lost their life's work because they will have put it in paper assets, trusting that paper means something. Well, George, if we follow along this uh, path of uh, economic decline, would, would, would it be your uh, belief that a currency is going to become fairly useless? Current, currency is going to be useful as long as people take it. But it, it could very well go the, the way of Argentina. Uh, folks w woke up one morning in, what was it, Cliff, 1990 or 91? And the currency no, no, just no. stopped most working. No, most recently was uh, 2000. Oh, 2000. I'm sorry. I'm wrong, wrong event. Um, but they woke up and the banks stopped working. Uh, plastic stopped working. All of it just sort of froze up. And, and that's the part where people uh, go, go almost into, into shock because it's beyond their comprehension that such a thing could happen without them not knowing or seeing it in advance. And yet it's all very carefully orchestrated in the mainstream media that we don't ask those core-level questions and that we, we just sort of blindly accept the notion that, oh, we'll, it'll all work out. Is this a self-fulfilling prophecy, what's happening? Well, I don't know. A handful of people 
seeing a train coming at a car that's stuck on a railroad crossing. Uh, yeah, whether they prophesy it or not, it's going to get. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get ugly. Well, besides the economic downturn, um, could there be something worse looming across the horizon? Uh-oh. Cliff, on a global yours. scale now. Let's put it on a global scale, not just referring to you. Know, I always want to refer to what's going on in this country, but we need to know what's going on in the rest of the world as well. Basically the same, or, or well, there's there's two sets of, of interrelated, not intercausal types of um, problems that we're facing. The first is economic, which regardless of how we think about it, the U.S. has conned the rest of the world. And when the dollar collapses effectively, so it's probably before summer, we're going to get to the situation where, uh, well, we have 6.8 billion people on the planet, and right at the moment, 2.8 billion people live on $2 a day or less. As the dollar crashes and no longer is accepted as the reserve currency and we have to thrash around, these people will be plunged into the poverty of 50 cents a day or less as their livelihood. And in addition to that, another 2 billion people will be plunged down to about the $2 a day level as their livelihood crashes. But then and at I'm the same time, the price of food is going to continue to go up. Correct, right? because it, we have all of the biospheric degradation issues. And that's hit us with the uh, grains in the past eight years. We've always had a deficit globally in the last eight years. We've got all these fools trying to make gasoline out of corn. The GM foods, which are taking away the biodiversity we need to survive, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are cooperating to form the mother of all storms, so to speak. So there's going to be uh, biospheric degradation continuing at the same time that we have to go through these economic issues. And that this is going to force us to readjust at a personal level to the absolute reality of the new paradigms that are coming to us. And those new paradigms are going to be uh, entirely different than we've lived in the past. And oh, by the way, this whole process was irreversible as of October 7th. So you're in it now. Okay, we're going to take a, a quick break again here, but when we come back, I want to ask either one of you what you anticipate as far as uh, natural disasters and, uh, and how that's going to affect uh, not only the economy, but uh, what's, what's going to happen with, uh, with the population in general. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute, so hold on. When you're weary Feeling small When tears are in Your eyes I will dry them all I'm on your side Oh, when times get rough And friends just can't be found Like a bridge over troubled water I will lay me down Like a bridge over troubled water I will lay me down 
when you're down and out When you're on the street When evening falls so hard I will comfort you I'll take your part When darkness comes And pain is all around Like a bridge over troubled water I will lay me down Girl, sail on by. Your time has come to shine. All your dreams are on their way. See how they shine. by calling 646-478-5297, 646-478-5297, or use the Click to Talk feature on our website at www.blogtalkradio.com slash earthfrenzyradio. Uh, both of you have indicated that there could very well be some sort of coastal event that will occur before March of next year. Now, could either of you elaborate a little more on, on what you're anticipating may happen in the next few months and what effect it could have on our society and this country? Well, we have to be clear about the uh, what we're calling the global coastal event. It's not going to happen before March, and it probably re- should really be renamed the global coastal process because it's not a single day. It's not a big wave or anything like that. Our descriptor sets, which could be wrong, admittedly, are indicating a long-term kind of a thing that involves the tides, very likely, that's going to impact the coast of the planet. It might be just talking about, we, we don't have enough details. 
in the way in which our process works, the further away we are from our current time, the less what we call granularity we have. So we lose detail layers pretty much after about three to six months. So, uh, but basically what, we're, what we seem to be getting is an indicator that a long-term process, uh, maybe lasting as long as five months, uh, is going to start occurring. We think it'll start before uh, summer, and it may actually begin in May of next year. It's a little vague at this point because it's so large, and it's, it's kind of like saying, okay, the tide is now definitely a foot higher than it used to be. When did it actually start creeping up? Well, do we start measuring when it started creeping up at a millimeter or an inch or what? And that's just kind of a consensus issue. So that's why we think we're looking at a very large event that involves some kind of a backward view in order to decide when it began, simply because of the language we've got that seems to be indicating this rather vague beginning. But the idea is that something's going to occur. It may involve a glacier sliding off on the uh, Greenland or something along these lines that takes a long time to proceed, but it causes pressure on the oceans. could be a subsea volcano that keeps growing and growing and growing and fills in large areas of the uh, underlying sea, sea and thus forces the tides higher. But basically, it appears that we're going to be dealing with some kind of a tidal change planet-wide that will take place over the course of about five months. And, of course, any level of tide change that is significant even a foot, two feet in some areas, but three feet for sure causes all kinds of problems at all the existing port facilities all the way around the planet. There's very few ports in the developed world that are accommodating of any kind of a rise of sea level because they were built at a time when we said, well, sea level never gets below this level and never gets above that level, so we'll just build our dock this high. And then all of a sudden, if sea level rises three feet at the high tide mark, on a low high tide day to say nothing of a neap high tide, then we may run into a situation where all the dock facilities flood out, all of the um, oil and other facilities start changing. And then we also have problems with offshore oil rigs, which are designed with that basic same range of tidal activity in mind. Make sense? Yeah, it does. In fact, uh, I believe that the consensus among uh, most of the leading scientists is that what is developing with uh, the climate change and with global warming is something that will be inevitable. It is going to occur. Now, it might occur within the next 25 years, 50 years. No one knows for sure. But they do believe this is going to happen, and it's going to affect uh, probably three-quarters of the world since most people live along coastlines. I would agree with you there. I think the percentage is about 72% of the populace globally. I do dispute most of what academic scientists throw out, though, because they're under what is known as a peer review system, and thus any of their expectations are restricted to the lowest common denominator again, because in a peer review system, the most conservative, the most stupid individual among your particular group is the one who has the level of um, blackballing, and thus you don't get printed if you don't get past that level of consensus view. So peer review systems, by their nature, limit uh, innovative thinking. And thus, Steve. I think. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just—I was just going to. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought you were done, Cliff. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I was—I was just going to say, peer review is kind of only like talking about the tired horse for the most part. In 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 the uh, analogy to the Pony Express, right. peer re, peer review does not tend to look so much at anything that's going to shake up the existing paradigm. 
Well, are we talking, when we talk about the uh, reports from leading scientists, you know, whether it be from the United Nations or wherever, wherever they're reporting from, is, is what they're reporting up to date or is it out of date? I think it's skewed to begin with because it eliminates certain uh, material evidence, if you will, which we should be taking into our thinking and we never, ever discuss in any of the forms in which like global warming is discussed. Never when you hear about global warming, for instance, do they ever discuss anything that's occurring on any of the other planets of the solar system, yet even the sun is affected by whatever it is. So it is pan-solar system, and it is bigger than our solar system because our sun is as affected as the Earth is. Therefore, since we know there are not humans driving SUVs or burning coal plants on the sun, something is occurring that is beyond our grasp at that level. Thus, any, any conversations about global warming that don't take that into account and don't actively put that in their assumption base are skewed and flawed. And we can find a number of different examples of things that academia and the scientists are not taking into account. So their view, I think, is, is actually not too worth considering. Does that make sense? They've got yes, such huge uh, holes in their thinking that why bother with their particular sets of conclusions that are, might be 20 years away? I find that spurious. The heliosphere has shrunk 25% in the last 10 years. If it drops below a certain critical level, we may have an ozone hole problem on Earth that would be of a staggering proportions. Might even well, cause depending, a, depending on how much, how much time we have, uh, what... How, how can we prepare then for what's coming? If, if this is inevitable and it's going to happen, how do we prepare for this? It's a good question. Uh, I wish we had some real solid answers. We know that the powers that be are doing certain things that that are totally out of character, and yet they say, oh, this is nothing. It's just a good idea we thought we would invest all these billions of dollars in at the time of uh, incredible economic malaise, and such as the seed vault which they admit is for an uh, apocalyptic future when no humans are around or when we have to try and recover our agriculture. And that, that kind of thinking just does not pop out of the powers that be. And here they are spending billions of dollars on this, and they've built it such that it's going to be a port facility 400 feet up above the current level of the, the ocean. So they may think that the ocean's going to rise 400 feet. That would be the logical conclusion. Well, our next guest uh, that we have on... Uh She's a ufologist, and so I wanted to ask either one of you if you believe in alien beings, and if you do, do you feel that they may be playing a role in world events today? Uh, I try not to believe in anything. I'm a linguist here, and the word believe takes its derivation, its etymology from two words, belief, which means I wish, as in I wish this to be true, or I have faith that this, that this is true. So I would prefer to have universe unfold it itself and tell me rather than me making some kind of a projection as to what I believe or not believe. On the other hand, there's certainly evidence that humans are being screwed with by uh, extraterrestrials or not-from-here beings, wherever they come from, interdimensional or, or uh, Mars, just does not make any difference. They're not from here. That certainly is the case. There's all kinds of evidence that's officially denied. Since I don't trust any government anywhere, having worked for them, then I know that anything they are denying is undoubtedly true, much more so than I would, would tend to believe. And thus I would suspect that indeed there are aliens out and about causing problems or interfering in some way. Well, there are a number of ufologists who actually believe today that we're on the verge of having uh, alien beings reveal themselves uh, to the world. Um, do you think that time is coming? 
Well, personally, I again, I don't put any credence behind belief or channeling or any of that because of the nature of the human mind. So I certainly think the contact meme is, is growing. There is a whole lot more evidence popping out, and the secrecy system is breaking down. Whether that ends up with aliens thinking that they can reveal themselves to us uh, in, a, in a generalized form, I couldn't say, but I certainly know that the next few years are going to be very interesting relative to the alien question. And we even have data that suggests that combination of the language space aliens and warfare is going to exist for humans in the year 2011. Now, what that combination will end up meaning is a, pretty much a guess at this stage, because we don't have much in the way of detail, but it sure is interesting. What's your take on that, George? Well, Cliff has kind of skirted around something that that is in his uh, in in his output from the model that he looks at, and that's this whole notion of people clicking out or disappearing in a very public way, starting sometime in the new year. New year, Cliff. That's correct. We we have indications of disappearances, and it it's the stuff we have would seem to indicate some kind of you know initially they might put it powers that be kind of level minions and they might put it down to oh this guy was you know lost at sea on his on his yacht or oh this poor fellow was kidnapped and his body was never found that sort of deal but behind the scenes there will be some level of consternation because these people will just be not seen they'll just take between one step and the next they just won't be there and that will cause some real problems because of who a lot of these individuals will happen to be. And then we have the other other spe- side of the spectrum. Now, bear in mind we deal with archetypes, and this is predictive. And, but the other forecast appears that sometime in 2009, which we have associations with summer, but that might be our northern hemisphere winter of 2009 because we also have associations with the southern hemisphere. But it's going to get to the point where people that are in rural environments will arm themselves and and board up at night because of the active fear of um, molestation, if you will, by not-from-here beings. And it's going to cause some severe social strain in that you wouldn't necessarily be able to walk over to your neighbor's house at night without being met by a shotgun blast. Have a, um, uh, someone in the chat room here who's uh, asking a question for you, Cliff. Maybe you can uh, explain this because I don't quite understand what they're saying, but uh, they want to know if you're still expecting the, and, and this is in quotation marks, crack during the second half of November. Yeah, but bear in mind, yes, this is, um, it's actually ongoing right now. Uh, the crack is appearing behind the scenes. It's, it was related entirely to the economy. It, it's not an earth crack or any of that sort of thing. It's just a very large uh, release, if you will, around the uh, credit market. And we'll see that in the next few days as we start seeing, well, probably this week and then into next week as the pressure starts settling down further on the system in the sense that uh, we began with the credit crisis at the high level of interbank loans, started going further down onto various parts of the economy. It's now hit the active real economy in the sense of the uh, bailout potential for the auto people and so on. Now we're going to get into the situation where it'll start pressing very hard on credit card companies, and they're going to start really issuing a lot of different orders here and about that uh, you know will restrict credit, and that'll even go further under the economy and start this spiral going. Uh, there's is it um. It's a self-feeding spiral. There's a name for it, though, George, in, in economics. I can't remember at the moment. 
Oh, it's, it's sort of the opposite of the virtuous cycle. The, the virtuous cycle is the one where uh, when times are, are getting good, when there's progress in manufacturing and industrial sectors, that spills over increasing demand for services and so forth. And, and, and what Cliff's referring to perhaps is the reciprocal of that, which is where as things that have been primary job creators continue to fall apart and that acceleration of, of deterioration uh, hurries itself along, that then it becomes inevitable that once you see cutbacks in, uh, well, like Citigroup yesterday announced 53,000 more layoffs coming in what I call the, the national layoff festival between now and, say, March, uh, what, what will occur is as those people enter the workforce, they're going to take three, perhaps four times that many other jobs with them because the services that they have supported up until now, everything from the car wash to the BMW mechanic to the dry cleaners to the pet walkers, all those folks are going to find themselves suddenly with no clients or certainly not as many clients, and that in turn causes further layoffs. Have we hit a, a low yet in, in the market, or you know, is it going to start leveling off at some point in time? Huh, You've got, you, you got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask that question because there's a lot of people that are very concerned, you know? Oh, sure, sure. You know, but but what's that, that to me right there, Steve, is perfect evidence of, of what Cliff and I sit back almost on a daily basis astounded, absolutely astounded at the depth of the hypnosis and denial that most people are in about the reality that we're all swimming in. I mean, it's just amazing. We are probably not even halfway down the slippery slope, and we've seen the Dow Jones Industrials come from 14,000 down to about 7,700. So they've been cut in half, and they could go, you, you won't like this, but they could go as low as either 700 on the Dow or completely out of business over the next couple of years. When you, now, 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 George, do you think that that's, a, that, that's a realistic to think that? Oh, it's worse than that, from my it's viewpoint. Than, yeah, well, we're going to start yeah, seeing people jumping off of bridges and, and the tops of buildings here pretty soon. They're already really doing it. Yeah, and we will indeed see an increase in that because the weak-minded won't be able to uh, take the cognitive dissonance of trying to change their worldview because we have to understand that dollar is dying. It's dying at a reserve currency level globally beyond a shadow of a doubt because right now the G20 is desperately trying to come up with something else, and it may actually, and it will fraction or fractionate here, and the, and the Russians and the Chinese and those people that have actual goods production and resources will go off and form their own little game and, and have their own little inner world currency and leave the rest of the dollar addicts to wallow in their misery as it gets even worse. But they've baked in huge levels of inflation. We have debt on this country that can never be repaid. We have debt on this country that would require the entire planet to work for 50 or 100 years and to take 100% of that output from the entire planet's worth of humans in order to pay off. We know this is unrealistic. It just won't occur. So the dollar is going to die. And in the meantime, the United States, as the profligate uh, seller of dollars and weird financial instruments, is going to have to really get uh, adjusted to reality. And that reality is that we have 6% of the populace that uses 25% of the global energy. We have 6% of the populace that 
brings in about 44% of the biota of the planet, which is food and other goods that are based on living organisms. And that will have to adjust. It is in, within reason at a mathematics level to expect that 6% of the populace should use 6% of the world's energy and 6% of the world's imported foods, etc. So that's a huge crash from where we are now. And if you want to see what it's like, go and read the Icelandic papers in English every day and you'll start getting some clue. And it's going to be about 10 times that worse. Would you suggest that people start growing their own gardens starting today? You should have been doing it this past summer, yeah. And it's going to get really nasty. We're going to have to get very creative. If you really want to get creative, you start studying how Cuba went through their uh, their version of this economic crisis in the 1980s and what they had to do to get a sustainable food supply. Because bear in mind, they lost 80% of their income when the Russia no longer supported them when the Russian Empire collapsed. They just disappeared overnight, and they went through what they called the hard times. And they set up systems where they were growing food on rooftops in the middle of every city. And we're going to have to get to that level if we're going to survive. And we better Believe start thinking about it realistically. We're going to use that word believe again because I, I have this tendency to use it a lot. But uh, do you believe that people are actually going to be able to adjust to what's going to be happening here in the near future? Where, sure. Where's the choice? Some humans will, yeah. <laughs> You know, you, 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 have to, you have to look, Steve, at whether or not people have a choice. You know, it, it's not a matter of, of are we going to have a decision point at which uh, somebody will say, okay, Steve, today you can decide whether or not you believe in food shortages. Nope, <laughs> it isn't going to be that way. You're going to be, you're going to be one hungry sucker. Yeah, and it that's just how doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some people out there that are saying right now that the three of us are out of our minds. We're absolutely insane that nothing can ever change, nothing ever will change. Sure. Well, yeah, they know those people. Uh, there's I, no I, point I, in talking to them, really. I mean, yeah, I will get rather go. brutal about it. The, <laughs> I, the I, situation I, I, is, uh, George, oh, let me, I was just going to say, the situation is, from my viewpoint, is that there are some people that are trapped and, and as George says, hypnotized. And so I have this little maxim that some people can change their worldview and others cannot. And the educated mind can dwell on an idea, examine it, and then decide to accept it or not. And that's what we're faced with. Those individuals who are too hypnotized and cannot change their worldview, unfortunately, are now obsolete. And they're just a, an impediment and a, and a drag on everybody else trying to get beyond and survive what we have to go through here. Because it's not as though we have a normal planet in which we can make our adjustment to the death of the dollar. We have an abnormal biospheric system that's with a, apparently increasing levels of abnormality. And against that background of uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, changes in sea level, alterations in the atmosphere, people up there sprinting, uh, chemtrails around like mad, the government acting strange, uh, huge amounts of money disappearing in giant black holes headed towards uh, space aliens or who knows what, just they're disappearing in the shadow government, all of this kind of stuff. And against that, we're going to have to deal with the collapse of the dollar and all the repercussions. So a lot of people will not be able to accept that, and I'm sorry, I don't have the time to waste with those minds. Well, we have a few minutes left here, and I wanted to ask you this, Cliff, and George, you can jump in as well if you like. Um, what, what does uh, the WebBot technology predict regarding the forthcoming administration and whether President-elect Obama will have any success in dealing with the serious problems that will soon confront us? 
the that ask, that's going back to the same concept as an external savior. If we look at the language you just used, you're basically saying, will I be able to count from the WebBot's viewpoint on an external savior called the president-elect or the new president to save things? And if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. You're heading down in an area that's not worth uh, pursuing. The government will not help you. It will not aid you. It cannot save you. If you're asking the question and dwelling on whether or not the government's going to come to your aid, you're actually putting yourself at a risk of not coming through this. I'm sorry. Well, there's but no such thing as a savior to the world, then. No, I don't believe in an external savior. I don't believe in anything. There's no demonstrable evidence that the government in my in a long lifetime has ever been able to solve any problems. They can legislate and they can attempt to control, and that's their only power. They don't solve things. So if you're asking what problems are the government is the government going to solve for me, then you're in the category of people I consider to be obsolete because that's not new think. If you're not doing new think, you're not going to survive. Well, I guess a lot of people are, are wondering whether uh, Obama's going to have what it takes to, to get along with the other side of the aisle in Congress because he can't uh, – we're going to have – what do we got? 58 senators now because I believe that Stevens lost up in Alaska. Right. Yeah, um, but you got, you, you're, you're, Steve, you've, you've got to change your thinking. There's only one party in power in America. Do you understand that? It is the corporate party. They write million-dollar checks to the Republic Corps, and they write million-dollar checks to the Democorps. And, and they elect the same old people after playing musical chairs, which is why Hillary Clinton, who was not good enough to be president, is going to be probably the next Secretary of State if the rumor mill is correct. Is that and, such a bad and, thing, though? Is that such a bad thing? It doesn't matter. If George is correct, if you're paying attention to politicians, you're being sucked into the hypnosis of what the powers that be want to have happen. There are 7,500 families that own 80% of the planet, including you and all of your debt, and they just give you little little uh, mind games here, bread and circuses, to keep you busy so that you don't revolt. Well, you all know what's, what's so down. sad about all of this is that the media and the general public, all they want to talk about these days is politics. They don't want to talk about uh, the uh, famine that's going on in the world, the climate change, you know, uh, how all Why of these countries are in these great turmoils. They don't want to talk about any of that. All they want to talk about is Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton right. and what's right. going on in Washington. And it's a waste of your time to even consider them because you have to stop and ask yourself, why is that? Well, it's because five people own all the media on the planet, essentially, other than that in the hands of the Russians and the Chinese and the, some of the Hindu press. Why do those five people want you to talk about this? Well, because they don't want you talking about or even thinking about any of this other stuff, because then you might start acting on it. And it will be only those people that act on it that will get through it. Steve, there's, yeah, there, is, there, there is a tremendous amount of real hard scientific data available if somebody wants to look at the problems of the future and where to go looking for solutions. For example, I just got an email from a friend who works at Lawrence Livermore National Labs, sent me a really cool flowchart describing how uh, energy is wasted in America. 55% of the energy in America, whether it comes from petroleum, gas, coal, solar, wind, geo, uh, nuclear, biomass, or hydro, 55% of it is wasted because we haven't effectively figured out how to transmit electricity more efficiently and a number of other problems. 
and and yet you're uh, you know people including you no offense are getting sucked into these arguments about gee uh will obama be able to take away all the guns from all the people who are bad and leave them in the hands of people who are good it's like what kind of issue is that we've got serious stuff we're running out of food we're running out of topsoil energy and most importantly we're running out of time well i, I believe we refer to them as wedge issues and it's like it's like cliff said it's a distraction exactly process. so where are we going from here? What uh, now? What are we looking at uh, happening between now and, and March of '09? Uh, let's let's get beyond the economy. Uh, what what else is is, is uh, going to happen? We have uh, indications that there's likely going to be two very large earthquakes uh, around the December 10, 11, and 12 uh, period of time. We'll know more as we get further into the data and get closer to that date. But it apparently will see some earthquake activity that will include damage, isolation, uh, structural uh, uh, damage, infrastructure damage, roadway damage. Those are the kind of language uh, clues that we're getting about what's coming. The earthquakes are likely to affect a large number of people, not necessarily in the United States, but we still have some language that indicates an offshore event in the Pacific Northwest that might cause problems and might cause tsunami worries. And again, we'll know more as we get closer to December. So... We have Is this that. something that's We've, going to happen along the Ring of Fire then? Uh, uh, it appears actually that one of the earthquakes will occur in the band of 32 degrees north to 36 degrees north latitude, which is a rather large area. That includes places like Pakistan, but also California or Texas or you know Turkey, Greece, that kind of an area. So it's the ge geoactive area of the planet. We also have the other indications that the the earthquakes are somehow twinned. That is to say, will happen within a relatively close uh, proximity to each other in a temporal sense, so within a day or two, and that we're going to get another indication of an interrupted wedding as being a, a lot of photos that'll come out as a you know of a church collapse or something during a wedding as a result of one of the earthquakes. You know, earthquakes don't kill people; bad engineering kills people. So I would advise people that if you're in any kind of structure to just check it out and see where the survival niches are. Go and read about what's known as the triangle of life relative to earthquakes because you can't retrofit all the buildings in the potential band between now and then. But you could just take advantage of some of these things and just be aware of your surroundings. And, you know, in, a, in an earthquake, you don't run underneath a doorway arch, especially in a modern building where there's no real lintel or structural support there. You go find a little void next to a fully packed uh, file cabinet because that will not compress. You don't get under the desk. You get next to the file cabinet. These triangular voids really do save people. So just take advantage of this, get an earthquake kit ready, and and meet it with some resoluteness if it actually is going to end up occurring. We still have the data growing, so I still feel somewhat confident that that's the case. What else did we um? We've got a number of nasties for next year for this coming summer. But oh, a lot the of those, dams, the dancing uh, mountains and mountains. dams. Yeah, we've got an indication that some earthquakes, probably relative to volcanoes, will uh, damage some dams and set loose some floods. And this year we had extraordinary winds in tornadoes and so on early in the year. And next year the the word for for 2009 relative to that is going to be flood. So we'll see a lot of flooding, uh, extraordinarily so apparently. And we'll yeah, also we've been continue quite a bit of flooding, uh, you know, in the last couple of years actually. Yeah. And well, it'll apparently be greater than we've seen in the last couple of years. So, and this is not necessarily directly related to the the global coastal event, which 
still it could it could go either way. The global coastal event actually might be if we had a big enough change in our weather and enough rain started staying as frozen ice and snow, it would suck more water out of the oceans, and we might actually see a cycle begin in which the tides would go out, and our high tides might be below our current low tide levels, which again affect the ports because we couldn't get ships up to to load or unload, that kind of thing. Would we so be we talking about a, a Noah's Ark type of, of flood occurring or something along that line? Uh, bear in mind that the Noah's Ark kind of flood is uh, misrepresented in history. The most accurate uh, representations we've got of the Great Flood event show that in India, cities of 5 and 10 million uh, in population were flooded, but it didn't happen in a day. It took over the, over the course of weeks, and they eventually did have to uh, evacuate and head back up inland. Uh, a good example of this is uh, detailed in Graham Hancock's book, Underworld. And in those kind of things, it's a, it's a multi-week process. So you don't have to have a boat per se, right, unless you're out in an area that might be trapped and become an island. Um, so that is actually what the global coastal event seems to be describing, is something like we would see described in Graham Hancock's book or in the history of India and Japan. Bear in mind that Japan, the word itself means Japan, it's the remnants of the continent of Pan, and there's all kinds of sunken things off the coast of Japan and Bimini and Cuba, etc., and they all seem to indicate a rather slow process of multi-weeks. Our, our data shows five months of that level of coastal flooding, but we're also seeing flooding from uh, massive amounts of storms and a lot of water in the atmosphere. Well, we're out of time for today, but I want to I want to thank both of you for coming on, and uh, I hope that maybe we can have you both back uh, sometime in uh, '09, maybe after March, and we can maybe talk about the accuracy of your predictions for for sure. these uh, few months. Can we do that? Sure, sure. Sounds good. All right, sounds great. Well, I want to thank both of you, and uh, we hope to hear from you again real soon. Okay, thank our, you much. Our, our, our pleasure. pleasure. Thank you, George. Thank. Bye bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this message. Are you a website owner or blogger searching for a way to promote your website content or to attract more visitors to your site? Then the Vox and Newsroom may have what you are looking for. Hey, this is Steve Shimon, host of the Earth Frenzy radio show. I joined the Voxen Newsroom in 2007 as a way to promote multimedia news over the Internet. Hey, and I've been glad ever since. The Voxen Newsroom is a resource for website publishers who want to embed quality licensed news content on a wide variety of topics. So how does it work? Simply search for video, text, and images from top sources. Then embed that news onto your website or your blog. By following these simple-to-use instructions, you will attract more visitors to your website and, most importantly, you will keep them there. Hey, the Voxen Newsroom will even pay you to use their news and video content. So if you are looking to add a little zest to your site, then consider joining the Voxen Newsroom today. You will be happy that you did. To learn more, Visit the Voxent Newsroom for Webmasters, located in the links box at www.blogtalkradio.com slash earthfrenzyradio, right here on the Earth Frenzy Radio Show.
Okay, well, if we are to believe what this software is telling us about our immediate future, then it certainly has painted a bleak picture of what to expect and how many of us will have to sacrifice so much in order to survive the social and economic disasters that lay ahead. Judging from what we see happening so far, there appears to be a lot of truth and accuracy in what is or has been predicted. Those individuals who try to tell the world that nothing ever changes, that this country couldn't possibly endure another depression like the one that inflicted this country in 1929, that the unemployment rate couldn't get any worse like the one we saw in 1982 when it rose to 10.5%, that earthquakes and violent storms are not on the rise, and that global warming is a hoax that has nothing to do with climate change, that crops are not failing, and the world is not facing a food crisis, that pestilence and disease only occurs in underdeveloped or poor countries that lack the technology to combat their eradication, that we will never again endure a global pandemic like the influenza pandemic that killed millions in 1918. To those people, I say, think again. To those people, I say, open your eyes. Look around you. Let your conscience guide you. Study the signs of the times in which we live before drawing your conclusions. Strangely enough, history has a way of repeating itself. It has happened many times in the past, and will most certainly happen again, quite possibly within our own lifetimes. You have been listening to the Earth Frenzy radio show from Louisiana's capital city, Baton Rouge. We hope you will join us again this Tuesday, the November the 25th, at 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, 8.30 on the Pacific Coast, when we will be talking about our ancestral heritage and the spirit medium with renowned psychic Louise Ungro. For the Earth Frenzy radio show, this has been your host, Steve Shimon. We'll see you again next week.
Radio Show here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. 